0: I'm going to invite you to open the scripture, copy of the Bible somewhere, and take a look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. I don't know if I can get volume up just a tiniest little bit. Thanks, guys. Galatians 5. Our long departed brothers and sisters in the ancient churches in Galatia. They've finished their course by the grace of God. But in their day, they were sorely tempted, apparently many of them, with a false gospel, another gospel. A gospel that is not the true saving gospel of God. And that's true, honestly, of anything else other than salvation through Christ alone. That's another Gospel. But I'm sure that they would not have gone the direction that they did, not been tempted to go away from the Gospel on their own. I mean, think about this. It was the Gospel of salvation through Christ, Christ alone, that had brought about the outpouring, the amazing outpouring of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what would tempt them to go astray from the gospel of such power and such grace and such forgiveness and such freedom? Well, in another place, Paul quoted a contemporary proverb. Bad company ruins good morals. As Paul warned Timothy against false teachers, their doctrine will spread. Like gangrene. And I know that most of us would say in our hearts, you know, I would never walk away from God. I would certainly never entertain a false gospel. I think I, I take it for granted that most of us would say, that would never be me by the mercies of God but I say that what is often unthinkable in the moment becomes plausible and then defensible and then even moral in our minds, given enough time under the influence of those who are enemies of the gospel. And I think that really is to a great degree, one of the big factors in the Galatian Christians' temptation to to go astray from the Gospel. And and Paul's going to really focus in on the influence of these ungodly people upon believing Christians in this passage here. So let's read together verses 7 through... 13. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. This is a uh, short little paragraph here. It actually is the second half of a paragraph that begins in verse 1. And I want you to see how that whole paragraph fits together. Um, It's kind of bookended by the same basic statement. If you look at the beginning of verse 1, what does he say? For freedom, Christ has set us free. And then if you go to verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. So here is this little paragraph about the gospel and about the freedom of the gospel. The gospel is a message of freedom. It's a message of freedom from sin, from the law and its condemnation, from the forces of darkness that so influence the course of this age. Freedom from Death and from the fear of it, freedom from the fearful judgment of God at the last day. The gospel is a message of freedom. And the gospel sets us free. It delivers us from all of these things by virtue of uniting us to the one who had victory over all of our enemies. And so the freedom comes in and through the Lord Jesus Christ by His own perfect righteousness. But there were and there are enemies of the gospel. People people who don't know what it's like to be set free. People who are scandalized by others who are living in the freedom that is in Christ. And such people, such enemies of the gospel of freedom, Paul dealt with in Galatia. Uh, He describes them back in chapter 2 and verse 4 as, quote, false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. These people, he says, are not really part of Christ's church. It's as if they're intruders. They're outside imposters who come in in order to try to spy out our freedom in the gospel and to entrap us again in the bonds of slavery. And just as surely as there were people in Paul's day who were preaching another gospel and trying to bring, bring people They were tools of Satan to bring people back into slavery. So there are, in fact, men and women today who may actually pose an undetected threat to your spiritual life. So this passage, I trust, will will resonate with us, will cause us to be aware and on guard even as we live our lives today, all of these thousands of years separated from our brothers and sisters. Um, The Lord inspired these things not only for their good, but for our good. So give us ears to hear, Lord, what you have for us. Now, in this text, Paul um, rather passionately identified three things about the enemies of freedom. And the first is their origin. Verses 7 and 8. In his exasperation, Paul seemed to be kind of mixing up all kinds of metaphors here in his his writing to the Galatian Christians. In the beginning uh, of this text, verses 7 and 8, he pictures them as runners in a race. People in a, a marathon. Uh, In fact, at the end of his own life, uh, he uses similar language, right? He says, I have run my race, I've finished my course. So he says in verse 7 to them, You were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? And then he says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. God had called the Galatian Christians to himself, to freedom in Christ. But here, other people were calling to them. Calling to them, vying for their attention, claiming to speak for God. And Paul says that this is not coming from Him who calls you. Which is a reminder that not everyone who speaks seems to speak a word of wisdom or divine revelation, is in fact truly from God. John Bunyan's famous allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, is a book that I hope everybody in here will read more than once in the course of your life. And Bunyan tells the story of Christian, a man delivered from the city of destruction the wrath of god and on his journey on a on a race so to speak on a journey to the celestial city and the king of that great country sent a number of his best servants to be a help along the journey and the book is filled with these often memorable characters who gave aid to the pilgrims on their pilgrimage to the celestial city. People like evangelist and help and interpreter and watchful and discretion. But also, as you read along in his allegory, there are a number of individuals who seemed at first to be helpful, but in the end, they manifest that they were not truly sent by the king. One of those people was a man by the name of Worldly Wise Man. Worldly Wiseman met Christian on his pilgrimage, and just like the ancient Judaizers that plagued the Galatians, Worldly Wise men's counsel was to get rid of pilgrims' burden of guilt by going to observe the law, by going up to... Mount Sinai, that's the only way to get rid of that burden, he said. Uh, And and he pointed him to uh, morality. That can ease your burden. Civility. If you'll just become a more civil, moral kind of person, then that burden of guilt on your back will be eased, he says. And for a time, for a little bit of time, Christian heeded his counsel almost to his own demise. That's exactly where the Galatian Christians were. They were being counseled by someone who seemed to be speaking for God. And Paul is saying, that is not from the king of this place. There are other people on this pilgrim road who, who join the pilgrim path for a bit, but they're sent really to divert true Christians from reaching the celestial city and 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 these these false teachers whether they knew it or not were tools of the enemy to just try to destroy these young christians in these churches there have always been wolves in sheep's clothing paul says in second corinthians chapter 11 that such men are false apostles He calls them deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And he says, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And friends, anyone who subtly leads you away from Christ is from the enemy, not from God. Anyone who comes along your path, anyone in your sphere of of life who is subtly leading you in whatever way, leading you away from Jesus Christ, this persuasion does not come from God. No matter how kind they might be or how helpful they seem or how interested in you they are. You hear me again? no matter how kind or helpful or interested in you they are, they may seem. Uh, this, If they are leading you away from Christ, they are, it is, this is not from God. And the way that Satan, people, Satan leads people away from God and away from the Gospel is often through the influence of false friends. We see secondly in this passage that he identifies their influence, the influence of the false teachers. And he characterizes their influence in four different ways. First of all, as hindering. Notice verse 7. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? It's actually a very interesting little word. The word hinder The etymology of the word, you know, kind of the roots from where it uh, is derived. It, It literally means to cut in. To cut in on somebody. Which is probably a little play on words, on the idea of circumcision, which is also a form of the word cut. and But it also, I think, is a way to remind them of the origin of these people. Here you are running your race. They're cutting in on you. They're coming in from the outside to hinder you from completing the race. They didn't start the race like the Galatian Christians. They didn't start by faith in Christ. They're coming from a whole different place. They've cut in on the race to hinder the progress of the pilgrims. Again, in Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the, 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 the famous story, as, as Christian, the main character, is making his journey. At one point, he's walking a path that goes along a wall. And in that wall was the gate of salvation through which uh, he had first gone at the direction of Evangelist, if you remember the very beginning of the story. And he's walking along this path, and all of a sudden, over the wall, tumbled two, two fellows and their names are formalist and hypocrisy and christian is surprised and shocked and begins to question these two gentlemen about their climbing over the wall and uh why they didn't enter Into the gate, and he makes reference to Jesus' statement in John chapter 10 anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And he begins to question them, and they begin to reason with Christian, um, like this they say, Well, you know, it's just a shortcut. Many other people go this way. In fact, this is a long-standing tradition in our city, is just to climb over the the wall at this point. And besides, what does it matter how we got onto the path? As long as we're on the path, we're going to be in the same place. But Christian refuses to be hindered by these two men whom he rightly views to be interlopers, who have cut in on the race and are seeking to hinder him from his progress. And there will likely be people who will come alongside you, my friends, my brothers and sisters. There probably are going to be people who are going to come alongside you as if they too are walking the Christian journey. They're on the same path you are. Maybe those people might even attend the same church as you do or the same Bible study, or be part of the same homeschool group. But they're going to come along, and the truth is, the the fact is, they've really cut in on the race. And their influence on you is not a godly one. And heeding their counsel could end up hindering you from reaching heaven. This passage... I hope by the grace of God will be just the warning that you need this morning. These people are very influential on the Galatian Christians. Their influence is described as hindrance. It's also described as persuading. Verse 8, he says this persuasion is not from Him who calls you. The false teachers weren't just making claims, they were seeking to persuade. And often, they really believe what they're saying. It's not that they're, they're just putting on a show. They're, they're trying to convince you of something that they believe. And we're, we're reminded again by this, that passion and zeal alone, even about spiritual things, are not sure evidences of God's power. And it is possible for people to be moved by the what seems to be the persuasive power of someone else. Every message though, no matter how rhetorically eloquent must be judged against the unchanging nature of scripture. And that means of course that we have to be people who know God's word. Amen so that when the persuasion comes, we might recognize that this is not from God. And if an ungodly influence is left unchecked and unconfronted, then there is a great danger, thirdly, that it will have a spreading effect. And that's the way Paul describes the influence of these false teachers. It spread. Notice verse 9. He, he uses another metaphor. A little, what? A little leaven. Leavens the whole lump. A little bit of yeast in the dough, he says, causes the whole thing to rise. The whole loaf. It affects it all. And that metaphor, of course, has its roots in the Old Testament. You remember that God brought His people in the Exodus out of Egypt. And God said, I want you to leave Egypt, I want you to leave it for good, I want you to leave its gods, I want you to leave its philosophy, its thinking, leave it all behind you. And God established for them a feast of unleavened bread in which... They were to go even into their cupboards in their house and sweep out everything to make sure there was no leaven at all in their house. All of the, all of that worldliness, he says, is to be left behind. You're to make a clean sweep of it. And the reason is a little bit of that idolatrous thinking will spread. And it actually did. They brought with them some of their imaginations about the worship of God that they had seen borrowed from the Egyptians and they get to the foot of Mount Sinai and they're waiting for Moses and they say, make us a calf, a golden calf, by which we might worship Jehovah God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, causes the whole thing to be bad. Paul uses the same type of statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he was dealing with a blatant sinner who was being tolerated in the church as if unrepentant sin wasn't a big deal. They were just, they were just letting him continue on as a, as a member of the church, communing with them. And Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 2, let the one who has done this be what? Be removed from you. And then later on in verse 6, he says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. And the danger of not confronting sin and false teaching is that it spreads. It spreads in a family, it spreads in a church, it spreads in a community. Sin spreads. This is why it's not an uncharitable thing on our part when we have talks and watch videos and have classes that expose false teaching in, in, around us. And some people might think well, that's not very kind. No, it's, it's, it's the right thing. It's the thing that we must do so that that gangrene doesn't spread, that leaven doesn't pollute the whole thing. This is why it's important for churches also not to be identified with broader groups that tolerate false gospels. Because what you tolerate will proliferate. What you allow in small measure will grow. And these false teachers by being tolerated within some of the churches, had begun to spread their teaching far and wide. And Paul has finally come to the point where he says, you've got to cut out this cancer. We read earlier in, in 2 Timothy, where Paul warned Timothy about false doctrine in the church that it would spread like gangrene. Gangrene, of course, is a kind of... uh a, a tissue a disease of tissue where the tissue bodily tissue dies, and the danger of it is that it can it can spread. We were watching uh, a while back a kind of reality uh, documentary kind of program where a group of people uh, were taken up to the middle of the Arctic and left alone to survive for a hundred days and one of the people got frostbite on their toes and were trying to treat it but it wasn't getting any better and the organizers grew in fact so concerned that this wasn't getting better they were fair, fearful that the that the gangrene which frostbite's a kind of gangrene that it would spread to the whole foot or to the leg and you might lose the leg or even die because of this thing and so they actually ended up having to come in an airlifter out of there this is the way that Sin and false teaching grows. Paul said it's like gangrene. And in the days before antibiotics, and even now, sometimes, the only way to deal with that kind of death in the body is to just literally cut it off. You just literally take the toe off, or, or it's just going to get worse and worse. And sometimes amputation is, in fact, the only uh, the only way to deal with it. Paul tells the Corinthian church, cut it off. Cut this person out of the church. Get rid of the infection. Because if not, the infection will spread. It will embolden others to sin. And, and, you know, you, you literally see this in churches who do not exercise discipline on professing believers that their boldness in sin actually ends up emboldening others who name the name of Christ to go on in sin as well. And before long, sin spreads through the church. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. He said, It is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Woe to the person who misleads another person into false teaching, into sin. And then he said, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better to enter life crippled and lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And this is what church discipline is. It's sort of spiritual amputation of a person from the body, from that which is supposed to be the body of Christ. And the principle, by the way, applies to our lives individually as well. Not only corporately, but individually, sin tolerated spreads. I remember hearing, um, now I forget who it was, but uh, a preacher who was giving counsel to other preachers about uh, young people who come to him saying, you know, I've I've begun to really doubt my faith and I have begun to think that uh, maybe the things I was taught all my life were not really true. And one of the questions that invariably this preacher would ask that young person is, okay, Now tell me about your moral life. Tell me about your purity of mind and heart. And so often what began as a moral toleration of sin, looking at porn or whatever it was, began it flourished and manifested itself as now doubting some of the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. And you might say, well, how can how can a moral failing end up in an intellectual um, struggle? And the answer is that sin spreads. And what is tolerated in one way, in one area, becomes a problem in another area. the uh, The old saying is that sin takes you farther than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay and it costs you more than you want to pay. So if your right hand offends you, brothers and sisters, cut it off, as it were. Let no sin be tolerated. Guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Then... Notice, fourthly, that the influence of the false teachers is described not only as hindering, as persuading, and as spreading, but also as troubling the church. Middle of verse 10. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. And Paul writes here in the singular. He's been warning about all these false teachers, but now he says, the one who's troubling you. So, who is this one? People want to know. Some people believe that Paul is referring to the leader of the false teachers, and that they even surmise that Paul wasn't sure who their leader was. So he says, the one who is troubling you, whoever he is. I don't know who their leader is, but he will bear the penalty. I think it's more likely, though, that this is a reference, it's a generic reference reference to anyone who unsettles a believer from resting on Christ, whether it's this false teacher or that false teacher or someone close to you or someone far away or someone leading you astray in this false doctrine or in that false doctrine or into sin of any kind. Anyone, whoever he is, who leads you away from Christ alone, he will bear the penalty And this gives us warrant to apply this not only to the false teachers who deny the gospel of faith alone, but to any ungodly influence in the church or in your life. And I just want to ask, young person, is there someone in your life whose ungodliness is potentially influencing you? Is there someone who is causing you spiritual trouble Is there someone who you know that you need to distance yourself from for your own spiritual good? Even like the leaven, to purge it out of your life. Proverbs 13 says, the companion of fools will be destroyed. The companion. Brothers and sisters, the influence of ungodly people troubles the church. And those kinds of things need to be, we need to put distance between ourselves and and those people. When Christian in the story, Pilgrim's Progress, when he realized that these two guys who jumped over the, the wall, formalist, hypocrisy, when he realized that they were mockers of the law of God, Bunyan says, Christian walked on ahead of them. He decided to walk alone and not to walk with these strangers any longer. Instead, he talked to himself, sometimes with great sighs and sometimes voicing contentment. As he traveled, he was often refreshed by reading the scroll. That is the Scripture. And there are times when, man, a believer is going to just need to walk away from, to just walk alone if need be, rather than surrounding himself by influences that are going to tempt him to doubt the Gospel, to go after sin, and to leave the path, the only path that leads to righteousness. These false teachers were troubling the Galatians. And part of that troubling of the Galatians was probably that they were actually slandering Paul. I think this is probably what's going on in verse 11. He says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross is taken away, which reads almost as if the false teachers were saying, were accusing Paul of preaching that you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. This is what Paul teaches. Paul's still teaching that, which maybe, maybe they were making a reference back to his pre-Christian view before he came to understand Christ's and sufficiency. Maybe they said, look, he's he's still preaching this message of, of, you know, circumcision and law keeping in order to be right with God. Maybe they accused him of vacillating between the two right um and and maybe pointed to some of his apparent contradictions between how he handled circumcision on the one case demanding that Titus not be circumcised and on the other hand um later on at least allowing Timothy to be circumcised for certain um in certain situation uh, in order to to be an outreach and and Paul's rebuttal to them about all of this these false accusations is this. Listen, if I'm still preaching circumcision is necessary for salvation, then why are the Jews attacking me so much? Why am I being persecuted? The false teachers were so troublesome to the Galatian Christians that Paul just lays into them with Intentionally shocking language. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And I think the point, the not so subtle point, is that if they, th- th- what they're doing is they're turning circumcision into nothing but a mutilation of the flesh. In their self-righteousness, they're leading people to hell. And it would be better that the symbol of their religious pride was cut off. Ultimately, Paul warns the Galatians to know about their condemnation. In the end, he says, I want you to know that their condemnation, the condemnation of these false teachers is sure. The condemnation of all enemies of the gospel of freedom is certain. Look at the end of verse 10. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty. He will come under, the word is judgment. The judgment of God. Jesus had already said that of the person who leads another person into sin, it would be better for him that a millstone be hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea. The judgment of God is certain. And the implication for the Galatians is that, hey, if you follow those people, then your end is going to be the same as their end. An end of condemnation. However, in spite of all that Paul writes to these people and all the harsh language he uses and all the warnings that he lays out soberly in front of these Galatian Christians, I love how he comes to them with encouragement and confidence in the Lord's sovereign keeping grace. In verse 11, look at verse 11. He says, And I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than than the one that he's putting forth. He said, "I'm, I'm confident that you're going to come around, that you're going to see, that you're going to understand, that you're going to heed these warnings and so not end up in the condemnation of the false teachers. And I praise God for such assurances. Amen, don't you? He who began a good work, Paul said in Philippians, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to be assured by God that the one who begins the work of grace in us will complete it. The one who set us on the pilgrim journey will bring his means along all the way in order to keep us on the path so that we will surely make it to the celestial city. What an encouragement that the strong warnings are also balanced with a word of assurance. Or in fact, friends, I would say it this way, that the warnings are the means that God uses to keep us on the path. To, to turn us away from the false teachers and those who would lead us astray into sin and death. And if you are God's child, friend, then I know that you will heed these warnings this morning. They will become for you the means of preserving you in the faith. And I am so encouraged by that. Is there, I want to ask, is there some person in your life or some Influence in your life that is drawing you away from Jesus Christ. That's the takeaway this morning. Is there some person or influence in your life that you are tolerating that is, in fact, subtly leading you away from the gospel and from the Lord Jesus Christ? Some false teacher who has your ear, or some friend who is leading you into sin? Do you find yourself doubting things that you know to be true when you are under that influence? Do you find yourself doing or saying things that you regret when you are under that influence? Their path, the Bible says, leads to eternal judgment. Brothers and sisters, listen, don't follow them there. Pilgrim faced, Christian in the story, faced many many bad influences that would lead him astray. Worldly wise men tried to steer him away from the gospel into a false religion of legalism. Madam Wanton tried to sidetrack he and faithful with the lust of the flesh. Formalist and hypocrisy tried to persuade Christian to be less concerned about the king's mandates. Timorous and mistrust tried to turn him from the path that leads to the celestial city because of the difficulty and the danger that lay on that journey. But listen, a true Christian perseveres, recognizing behind Every one of these voices is the voice of his adversary. And so may these warnings today be for you God's means of grace to keep you in the faith all the days of your life. Would you pray with me? Thank you for the word today, Lord. Thank you for the warnings and the comforts. Please let them have their good effect in those who hear, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.